Hi, everyone. Welcome to the ImpactVest podcast, transformative global innovation in a new era of impact. I'm Aisha Williams, the founder and CEO of ImpactVest. And along with our guest host, we aim to inspire and motivate towards collective positive global impact to solve our world's most pressing challenges in sustainability. With each episode, we will engage in insightful conversations with global change makers, visionaries, and sustainability activists who wish to build a more sustainable and resilient future. Join us now as we create the future of impact. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Eddie Kubimana, who is the founder and CEO of Agent Connect, a startup based in Burundi. Welcome, Eddie, to our podcast. Thank you for inviting me. And Eddie, can you tell us a bit about Agent Connect? Yeah, okay. My name is Eddie Kubimana first, and uh, I'm doing computer science at Ashisi University. I'm the founder of Agent Connect, which is the company that is trying to bridge the gap between the banked and the unbanked in Burundi. What we do at the Agent Connect, what we are trying to do is to ensure that people in rural areas have access to financial services almost at the same rate as people who live in the urban area. What we are trying to do is that we are working now with mobile money agents to help them to access to a pool of liquidity so that they can ensure that they can perform as many transactions as they want and also help people to bank and access different uh, financial institutions that are in Burundi without having to travel long distance. As the current state in Burundi is that in most cases, people in rural area they don't have any way to bank or store or even create an account because most of the financial institution they are populated in the urban area where they have like customer base. But in in rural area, you can never find any financial institution. But what we've seen is that in most cases, you don't have to be there to be able to perform different financial transactions. And what we are trying to do is to ensure that through independent agent to provide different financial services in a rural area can have a way to interact with different a customer base, either someone who doesn't have like that much money to have to travel and do all the stuff to make sure that they can also be included in a, a formal economy and be able to perform different financial transactions at cheap cost by using different uh, tools like mobile phone and other current tools that you have now. Yeah. So what gave you the inspiration to bridge this gap in terms of mobile payments and banking and to incorporate all of your background in terms of AI, machine learning, robotics. And so how does this all come together in your vision and mission? Okay, for me, I was born in one of the rural areas in Burundi. The commune is called, because Burundi is subdivided in province and commune, and I'm from Shombo, which is one of the rural areas, and it's not that uh, populated, and we have less access to financial services. And for me, when I was in 10th grade in Burundi, I was sent to boarding school. But the problem was that when it comes to sending fare, when I want to come back, my mother has to travel like 12 kilometers. And... In most cases, it was like kind of hard for her to travel because I, I, I was raised by a single mother. And all those stuff was like, you have to spend the whole day going to send maybe money that is less than $20 for me. And it's like the whole day is spent without doing anything. But if at that time, like she had access to someone who can help her maybe to send money using mobile uh, services and all those stuff, it would have not taken that much time. Another thing was like, when it comes to paying different services, like, like Manuwa in Burundi, because most of the population is like eight, more than 80%, they are farmers. Now, some of the uh, provider of Manuwa, they use different digital services to pay. 
And when it comes to the like general or something like that, you find a long line of people lining to some banks to be able to pay those services. And they are spending almost a week waiting for those services. And for me, what I saw was like, it's not necessary that everybody has to go through that process. And there are some technology that can people to do that or to pay on the, uh, themselves without having to line up for a bank. Another thing that I saw was when it comes to banks, they have like a formal way of writing down like how much money you want to deposit, how much money you want to withdraw. And the majority of people in Burundi are not that educated. And when it comes to financial institution, sometimes it's hard to tell a cashier to fill your like document when you want to withdraw and do that. And most people suffer when it comes to that. But for mobile money, it's not necessary for you to fill out different documents and all those stuff. The agent has to do that for you. And that's what they do in their life. And that's why for me, it was like the inspiration. And you see how that gap that is between how people access different financial services and how there are some new way that you can do it without excluding some uh, population, why are you making sure that those population also they are having access to the same service that other people who are educated or who live in your banks or in urban area are accessing? That's right, because once they have access to formal banking, then they're able to have access to all the other banking services, credit, mortgages, and so it really all allows them to access capital markets. And where do you see your company headed? And so you've been able to bridge the gap. You've you've been able to provide banking service to the unbanked population. Where do you see your company headed in the future? Okay, what we are trying to do now is to ensure that we are um, looking for investors and people who can help us because our market is volatile, is like hard to see the legal framework when it comes to how like you operate those kind of operation. And for us, what we are trying to do is to like look ahead and make sure that we are interacting as many like uh, stakeholders, either in Burundi or abroad, or people who are like skilled in come in terms of uh, legal framework, so that we can understand how. Because like Burundi is not like the political situation is not that stable. Anytime can fluctuate from this to that, from this to that. But for us, what we want to make sure that is to understand the complexity that the, our economic system has, and to make sure that we think forward. Then. In future, what we want to do is to make sure that the vision that we have is to make sure that people who live in a rural area and also who people, because in, in Burundi the property right is not that privileged. It's like most people, they have land that are not documented. They have different things that they can use to access credit and all those stuff, but there is no legal way for those people to be able to do so or even have access to credit using some of the assets that they have. And for us, what we are trying to do is to make sure that after... Um, uh, because next I want to uh, scale to the countrywide because now we're working in two provinces. And after that, what we want to do is to look at how we can make sure that those people who don't have maybe material kind of like they are not doing business, but they have some uh, legacy from their parent, such as them, they can have access to micro so that they can improve some of the activity that they are doing. And that's what we uh, we envision in the next like maybe 10 years from now. Yeah. I really do think that you you will be able to scale and be able to allow more people to be able to access banking services. And when you're speaking about wanting to pitch to investors and present your business case to investors, how do you think that you can reassure them about the stability of the investment in your company and in the midst of the larger macro volatility that that you said is present there 
Okay, what I'm trying to do now, I'm working with one of the investors, and what we are trying to do is to go through the process and try to highlight some of the challenges that we face now and also we can face in the future, and also try to brainstorm together how we can maybe be able to go about that. And for, so far, it has been so good because it's like, of course, the market now is not that stable, but maybe there is some chance that in the future it will be stable. Even if it's not stable, if you think ahead of the challenge that you can face, can be able like to mitigate some of them. And for me, I can say that is working very well. And what you're trying to do is either to look at how some of the registration of the company, and also how, how can we ensure that it doesn't matter what the situation is happening in Burundi, we can be able to make sure that the operation of our business is not disrupted by what is happening. As long as the most of the things that we are doing, they are not physical, they are technology-based, which implies that we can have some level of security despite the fact that maybe political situation that is happening. And also if the company is not either registered in Burundi or we have some kind of way to protect what we are doing, that can be also very good for us. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about the megatrends of AI, machine learning, and this is part of your background as well. What do you see as the future of AI, machine learning, robotics um, on the African continent in general? Where where do you see it headed and what sectors do you see that it really is affecting now and is going to affect in the future? I think if you look at Africa now in most cases, is I think education has been impacted by um, AI. And also I think financial services will going to be impacted. But the problem that we face now is about data because when it comes to machine learning and also deep learning, it comes to data. And in most cases, African information are not that available or is for you to decide. For example, if you have a project, you have to start collecting those data. And in most cases, there are no reliable way to collect those data and you is resource intensive to be able to collect data that you can maybe train a model or do something that is going to have that kind of impact. And also the population that you have is like is like some of them are highly educated and the majority are not that educated. And all those present challenges when it comes to looking at how you can maybe do kind of formal tool that can help people to improve their life. Because even if you develop something and most people are not using it or they don't have access to tools that can help them to use those tools is going to be useless. And sometimes for us, like to focus either on tools that has been maybe used in Western countries to first like get some people to some level before saying that you can maybe develop some like AI that can help them to maybe yeah do as the Western country are doing or different. Because even some banks now they use tools like a artificial intelligence tool to be able to improve their services. They use like a more traditional way than new way. But I think there is some uh, potential because we can improve. We don't have to go through the process that uh, maybe uh, we have like access to a cutting edge technology more than it was not. The technology are being developed now. And for us, we can see them and we can see how they are helping other people to like improve productivity and all those stuff. But for us, we have like to go through the process that is going to require space to be able to have some kind of infrastructure that are going to support the tools that we are developing as of trying to develop like high tech, which is not going to be useful in the local context. So do you think that the usage of AI is very different uh, on the African continent than it is in the West? Yeah, of course, it is very different because in most cases, I 
for example, in Burundi, for example, some of the tools they are not allowed to be used by because the government broke some of them. And in that case, like if some of the tools, of course, for example, even ChatGPT in Burundi is not accepted to be used in all those stuff. It's like somehow it's like when something presents some kind of challenge and the politician doesn't like it, the government can break or say that this is not allowed to be used here. And also even some mean of transferring money, if the country can decide to say that this company is not allowed to send money in our country and all those stuff. And someone has to bypass either use another country that allow that company. For example, the, uh, there is a company, WISE, that is that does uh, international transfer. In Burundi, is not allowed to send money in Burundi. And what he, most people do is like they have to send money in Rwanda and they get money from Rwanda using mobile money to Burundi. And it's like some of those challenges that sometimes the politicians are not open to change or to like some of the new tools that are happening. And that can hinder the progress or the adoption of the product. And to be able to scale solutions like yours, it really takes a lot of partnerships between government and private businesses and, and public businesses, right? And yeah. so, and so that's going to be very important to allow the adoption of all of the new technologies to be able to allow services like yours to really be able to bridge the gap in terms of financial services and other services. And so on this idea of mega trends that we're speaking about this year, near the end of the year here in 2023, how do you see the future of your industry in terms of providing banking services to the unbanked population? Uh, Let's say that some of the rules around AI and machine learning are allowed to be lifted a bit. If you are allowed more access to AI services, where do you think the future of the industry could go in terms of providing banking services to the unbanked population? I think it's going to be very good because when it comes to how some of those, so if you have enough data and you are able to uh, do some like have some good tool in place. It's like the transaction first, they are going to be easier conducted and it's going to be cheaper than when you are involving a lot of people. And in most cases, technology can scale very easily than when you are using human as like everywhere. And which implies that in that case, uh, the people in rural area can have more access to financial services easily because as long as the bank are not building infrastructure near them, they have to use those too. And as long as there is no more involvement of as maybe we expect that the majority of population is going to adopt some of the tools that have like smartphone or even feature phone sometime. And if there is less interaction with more agent and they can be able to do those things on their own, we should try that as long as we are not using human to do all those like minute transactions and other stuff, people can access those services at cheap cost. And at that time, it will be easier for them to adopt more financial services more than. Because if, in most cases, the hindrance is the... They may be the maintenance fees for their account or how they have to travel and also how hard sometimes it is. And when we can remove those hardware and challenges, most people can feel at ease to perform or even uh, move themselves in the economic sector that is formal than what they are used to do. Yeah. Right. And so it's really about lowering the cost of the transaction. And, and that's really the future and the promise here of AI and new technologies is that if we can lower the cost, it, that then you'll be able to provide banking services and other financial services at a lower cost and bring bring more people into the financial system. 
So can you tell us a bit about some of your clients or future clients and what they're looking for and what their feedback is on the services that you provide? Okay, I think now we have like, a, I can say like, a, I can make them like, for example, educated people or uneducated people. And in most cases for the educated people, the experience that they have is, in most cases is like, the the process that they involve themselves in is hard. For example, if for example someone is a teacher or is in a government employee, and every month he has to go to a bank, wait for lines and waiting for his money. But for now, it's like with mobile money technology, you can be able to receive your money on your account either through the bank, and the bank is connected to mobile money, and you can withdraw money at any time. And also, in most cases, what people do is like they use mobile money as not a way to pay or they use my uh, mobile money as a way to uh, send or receive money, which implies that few people are interested in keeping their money in a mobile wallet and be able to pay different services using without having to touch cash. And for for us, for people who um, are educated in most cases, the hardware that we have now is that even those services they are expensive. When you decide to use electronic money to pay different services, you find yourself paying more fees. And for them, the expense now is like. What if these kind of fees that you pay when you are you are buying or selling or something like that, they are lifted? We can be able to use adopt more of these technologies. But for the undergraduate people, what they do in most cases, they use those services when, for example, like paying some services like manure or school fees for their children or a hospital. When, for example, they looked one at a hospital and they want to send money to do some stuff and do those stuff. And for them, they don't engage much in those discussions about those for them they don't really understand what is happening and for them it's like if someone can help me to send or receive money that's all but for educated one they are the one who can identify those kind of gap and how sometimes the economy or even the different mobile money providers are not trying to make sure that they can adopt mobile uh, currency as one of the way to transact not as the way to only send or receive money and so it's really a difference, like like you said, between those who may have a formal education and and how they access banking services. And so do you see a difference when when you're creating your services in the types of applications or services that you may provide to someone who has a formal education and someone who who doesn't? Does one group prefer a set of services over another? Yeah, of course, because for people who are educated in most cases, they want independence. They want a way to like do everything on their own, not to have like talking to someone, I have to do this, I have to send money, I have to receive money. But for people who are not educated, who doesn't have that high understanding of what, like how some technology works. They want that kind of support. They want interaction with human so that they can know if maybe I send money to someone, if that person doesn't receive money, I have to make sure that I have someone I go talk to and ask where did the money go and how can I get the money back? For someone who is educated, he may not know how to file a complaint whenever maybe a transaction didn't go through or something's not happening. But for someone who is uneducated, as long as he send money and he doesn't maybe see the money in his uh, account and he calls someone who he sent that money to and he said that I didn't send the money. He starts to panic. Another time he needs someone who comes and maybe go through the process and show how maybe the transaction. It doesn't matter if you don't send the money or the person you send money to is, he didn't see the money. 
the money is going to come back or maybe after 24 hours, something like that. And in those constraints, you have to make sure that you engage like each uh, customer segment like differently because some of them may prefer a mobile, a mobile app and they have to interact independently with the system, but other may prefer human being who help them to interact with the system without necessarily knowing what is happening in the background. And that must be very important to know your customer segment and, and to know the types of services that each prefer. And what do you think are some of the most critical issues and challenges of facing the African continent today in terms of access to banking services, financial services, and what do you think can be done in terms of a collaboration between government and public companies, private companies like yourselves and the West? I think uh, in most cases for the banking industry, it's like there is inflation rate. It's like in most cases, it's hard for like most African countries to predict how like next year or even how like, because the interest rates, they are very high. It's like most, for us in Bundes, I think it's 40 or 50% interest rate for everyone yeah. or something like that. And the bank do that not because they hate or they don't like to help people to develop themselves. But the problem is that the currency are like they are no stable. And another thing is that when it comes to the control of money and how the central bank in every country controls the money, in most cases it interferes with the government. For example, if it's the time of election, sometimes the government is inflating the money, doing many stuff and promising and like trying to pitch to people so that they can vote for them. And at that time the bank suffers like because of that. And another thing is that sometimes the country imposes some uh, regulation banks so that for example they do, they are not allowed to do like inter- international transaction they are not allowed to do like and in that time the bank tried to make sure that is operating within the country and having the customer in that country and also that presents challenge for them because at that time they have like to play with like difficult children sometimes it's hard for them to make profit and that's why sometimes they are switched to the customer another thing is that when it comes to property rights most then and also property are not like registered, which in fact that sometimes someone can ask a loan and give a bank has like some collateral and something like that. And at the end, even if that person doesn't resort like that, he default his debt, the government there is no strict rule on knowing how maybe the process has to go. And the bank has to do everything on its own. And it's like a very challenging situation for them. And when it comes to like how maybe this can be alleviated by like maybe partnership with like Africa and also the West is like, when it comes to institution, we have in most cases weak institution and those present like big challenges because a politician can wake up every morning and decide to like stop maybe some company operation. And at that time, there is no legal framework to say that I'm going to defend myself against this uh, person and all those stuff. And at that time, it's like, either you are forced to cooperate with them, it doesn't matter whether you are right or wrong, or they are right or wrong, is like you have to cooperate with them or otherwise you decide like risking, seizing everything that the, the company is doing. And that is very dangerous for them and they have to play like in that field and they don't have any choice to do it. And it's like, well, I think for example, in Burundi, we, ha- we used to have like, I think four telecom companies, but now I think three of them have has been brought by the government and now we have one telecom company. And it's like, now it's a monopoly. And Either you want to use that service or not. If you want to make anything which is related to phone call and anything, you have to do use that company because the government has forced the other company to close. Not because they don't have 
enough capital. They are not doing because maybe they don't agree with the government on some of the issues. And so we're really speaking about legal frameworks, policy frameworks that that have to change to be able to allow entrepreneurs like yourself to bring services to the market that that the market needs. Yeah. And so it's the underlying infrastructure, and and we speak about the banking sector uh, and those frameworks that that have to change and become much more flexible and allow for competition within the market economy, right? To to be able to allow you to bring your services forward. And so if that is allowed to happen, if more competition is allowed to enter into the economy, you have more choices. We'll we'll see how the interest rates are um, next year. But how do you see yourself navigating this environment? And so there's a tremendous amount for you to navigate there and you're still bringing your services to the market. So that is an inspiration to us here at Impact Fest uh, because you are really reaching so many people, bringing financial and banking services to them in, in the midst of um, so many changes and frameworks and processes that still have to be put into place. So how do you manage that to be able to bring your services forth in the midst of policies and frameworks that still have to be put in place legally and policy-wise? Okay. On my side, what I'm trying to do is like, in most cases, um, there are some either, the first thing is to make sure that you are no. On my side, I make sure that I don't involve in political matter and all those stuff because in most cases when you are involved in those ones, you are higher target, like you are a target like for them. But if you are neutral and what you are doing is like you are doing business, in most cases, you are not conflicting with them or end. There is no chance of, for you to be saying that at the, at the end of the day, they are going to say that you are a target because you are not involved in a, anything. You are not criticizing them. What you are doing is to make sure that you are making sure that despite the fact that the country is doing bad when it comes to policy. You can do something that you see that you're proud of. And for me, what I, I want to do is like make sure that some people can have access to uh, financial services and also they can create some job for some young people who now have like the rate of unemployment is very high. And from that, for me, it's like, okay, it doesn't matter how it goes. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, maybe the framework of legal the legal framework is going to change as long as I'm progressing. And another thing is that when it comes to some, what you are doing, you can have some kind of protection. It comes, if you are young, our president now is trying to make sure that he's interacting with two young people. And if you have some significant impact that you are making, you can make sure that you are getting some networking, those like high profile and talk to them. And at that time, you're making sure that you are getting some ground to make sure that what you are doing is not going to be disturbed by any stranger at any time. And I think that we are trying to think about when it comes to inflation is like using like Bitcoin or stable coin to ensure that as long as someone is transacting and doing something, not everything is in our local currency to ensure that some part, if as long as you are not using money within the economy, you can still be able to have a hedge against inflation so that your, even if the government is changing everything, is printing a lot of money, your money is not going to go to like be inflated at any time. And that's what we are trying to navigate to make sure that we are doing our best in this moment, yeah. And I can imagine that crypto is quite important uh, for the economy there because it does provide a hedge against inflation. And do you see the rise of the crypto economy uh, being linked to the services that 
are able to come forth in the economy there because you're able to transact outside of the local currency and you're not linked to any of the inflation that's linked to the fiat currencies. And for now, the, for the formal banking way, there is no bank or any institution that is allowed to use that. But when you look at the informal economy, most people use it. It's like it's not accepted in our country, but people still use it for like sending or receiving money and do all those stuff. For us, it's like there is hope because people see the solution, even if the government doesn't enrich that crypto or even other means of transferring or receiving money is there. The people are still using it, which implies that there is a need, like there is something that is there. And for us, it's like, of course, the government doesn't accept cryptocurrency, but people are interested in exploring the uh, ease or even how easier for them is to send or receive money using cryptocurrency. And for us, like, that's hope for us. And we can say that in the future, maybe the government can enrich it, or even if it doesn't enrich it. It doesn't necessarily have to be because one country can accept cryptocurrency and another doesn't. And at that time, you have to navigate the way how the company operates, how to make sure that you can still use the service without not having to interfere with the government restriction that has imposed on cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yes, because it does provide quite a good hedge against inflation, although the crypto industry faces its own challenges, so does fiat currency. And so we have very interesting choices these days in terms of currency. But at least there is an option, especially for the informal sector there, to, to be able to operate outside of the inflation found in fiat currency these days. Are there any last words or ideas that you would like to leave with our audience about how you see the future of the industry providing financial services to the unbanked population and uh, the future solutions for the challenges that are found there, the differences between the formal and informal sector, formal education, um, and those who are not formally educated and thinking about the types of services that you have to provide to each client segment. How do you see the future going forward? And how are you placing yourselves to take advantage of that future? Okay. What I would like to say is like, okay, if you look at Africa and the situation that we are in now is like, there are more potential, but the problem is, okay, two people, for example, if you are within Burundi and you are a young person or even an entrepreneur, it's hard for you to see the future beyond what you see at that stage, which implies that it's hard for you to think that you can do something great or something that can impact the community and something like that. And for me, what I would like our audience to know is that, okay, there are potential, there are people who are really trying to do something. And the problem is sometimes you don't know that there are opportunities or there are some kind of partnership that you can have with uh, external people and something like that. Because you don't have to know everything at that time. Because like if you want to start, it's like you may think, okay, the economy in our country is complex and it's hard for me to understand how I can navigate everything. But for some of the people try to do their best despite the fact that it's challenging for them or they don't even see the future. But for us it's like okay there are many people who are trying to do their best to see how they can improve their community. And some investors or people who have something who understand maybe how those challenges can be solved and how those legal framework can be, despite the fact that it's hard, they can be able to help those even young people who are there. Or not say, for example, if you invest in Burundi, I don't think that it's easier to you to see that maybe in the future in two or three years, there are something that is going to come out of that. But if it's a long term, 
there's a chance that if you start early, as the economy is improving, as the world is inter- getting interconnected because of the technology and all the stuff, in the future, it won't be that different from other countries because either the government is accepting the mean of payment or even doing transaction or is not accepting it. People will still use it because of technology and how it's hard for government to control information due to internet and all the stuff. And for people who have some mean or even understanding, they can still be able to mentor, even look for different young people who are trying to do their best, invest in them, even give them training. Because in most cases, it's not necessarily the lack of access to capital and those stuff, even the lack of knowledge or understanding on how, despite those challenges that are there, they can still do their best to make sure that they are doing what they can while waiting for some people who can help them to do better to come. Yeah. And so it's very important to have role models like yourself, Eddie, who are launching companies and really making a way for future entrepreneurs to to come and build in your footsteps and create a, a stronger market economy that will be able to provide services to, to those who need it. As we look into the future and bridging access to technology, the benefits that technology can bring in in terms of bringing those into capital markets and financial markets and and to be able to allow many people to have access to role models and and to scale businesses and build businesses right and so it's quite inspiring what what you're doing Eddie and we're really happy to support you here and thank you for being part of our alliance this is what is really needed we speak about this a lot bridging access to technology uh, closing the SDG funding gap. And this is where it starts. I think every entrepreneur starts with an idea and a vision, and we may or may not see the results in our lifetime, but but at least we're building the pathway forward for those to follow in our footsteps. And that's how every company was started, right? And so we're all speaking on phones and laptops and it was just someone's idea and now it's real. And so and it's so important for you to put your vision into the market and, and to make the market economy stronger and uh, to build a strong ecosystem of entrepreneurs. And so we're really happy to support you in this. Thank you. And I think like what you, the initiative that Impact Invest is taking is very useful because I think he's kind of encouraging if you are an entrepreneur and see how like other people are interested in what you are doing and also try to give you support because also visibility because the moment you are doing something and you are kind of in Burundi, you don't have access to media and also even the media is not interested in um, entrepreneurship. What they are doing is like politics, education and all those stuff, but they are not also focused on maybe unemployment or but. There is no that kind of information about how can we try to solve some of the problems that we are facing. Because what I believe is that, of course, even if the government is doing great and everything, you can, ne- can never be able to solve all problems that people are facing. And also, if people are independent and they are able to tackle the problem that they are facing, the economy is easier for it to boom, even despite the fact some challenges. Because people are, people are resilient and also young people see that they have some vision and they're trying to be the a vision they like they see and trying to work together, learn, try to transfer knowledge from either young generation or people to come. They see some kind of inspiration and try to tackle some of the problems that they see. And for 
impact investing is like you are doing great because first is the like kind of visibility, try to expose my idea, learn from you and see what you are doing and hear what I'm doing. And through this cooperation and understanding and discussion, they helped me to say, okay, have access to more people, get new people to talk and engage with them, get some feedback, learn from them and get some kind of mentorship that I would never get if I was more expert to like what you are doing and see how different like-minded people are trying to do their best. And it's something great that I'm thankful. Well, we're really happy to have you here. And we are very inspired by you. And it's it's so important to be able to bring financial services to the unbanked population and uh, to build a stronger market economy. And so we're happy to profile what you're working on and uh, to provide the mentorship that that you want and need from from us, uh, because what we are focused on is to be able to build a more sustainable future. But in many instances, that means to build the infrastructure around the companies and structures that are that are needed. And this is what we spoke about in our podcast today: is is that first we need the legal structure and policies and working with governments and working with larger companies just to be able to bring the necessary services forward that can create real change and real outcomes because that's what we're we're focused on right and so and so we're really happy to be able to have you here and support you in your vision because I think it's such a great vision and I think you'll be able to change many people's lives. And so we really applaud you for that. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Eddie, for joining us today. We're so happy to have you here with us and happy to support you. And I'm very much looking forward to the future. I think there's a very large market and um, scaling opportunities for you in the future and excited to see it and all and all of the people's lives that you are going to change. I think it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for you. We'll be right here to support you. Yeah, I'm very thankful for that. And I look forward to also to keep interacting with you and also learn from other entrepreneurs and also other podcasts that we have with and that fellow entrepreneur across the continent, even across the world. And yeah. Well, thank you very much, Eddie. Yeah. Thank you too. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening to the Impact Vest podcast, transformative global innovation in a new era of impact. Join us next week for another episode and become part of our Impact Vest newsletter community where you will receive all of the latest updates about our work in this new era of innovative impact finance. See you next week as we create the future of finance at Impact Vest.